Can you imagine if uh, if the Lane Stadium guys no, actually <laughs> was really calling this Carolina Pit game? I mean, and, no, and, we, and just and nobody and they didn't tell anybody. They just did it. You know, like well, Dave sent us that thing after the BC game and was like, "This guy's like, you know, really going for it." And I was like, "I'm sure, you know, it's stupid." And then he played it for me, or he sent us the videos, and I was yeah. like, "Whoa, this is like you undersold how like insane <laughs> this guy was." He was really going for it. He really was. He, he was really like, was. "I'm going to make a name for myself when you know Makai Ashton Langford wins this at the buzzer or whatever." I mean, and can you imagine Sports Center that, that one? I mean, like, listen, all those Ryan Dunn moments were great but that one he he like he did like a ha ha and it's like all right <laughs> calm down howard dean calm down Welcome, everyone, to the CatsCorner.com podcast, CatsCorner.com, your source for sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, February the 1st. Um, apparently, you're supposed to be better this month than you were last month or something like that. Um, we are going to talk about, um, obviously, today was National Signing Day, and in maybe some parts of the country, that's what it was. Um for the Cavaliers, it was just a, a you know a regular day, except for Tony Elliott addressed uh, media members this afternoon. So we'll talk about that. And obviously, Virginia filled its uh, wide receiver, um, wide receiving coaching position on the staff since we last um, spoke. So we'll get into that. And obviously, the Cavaliers on the on the uh, uh, basketball side of uh, of things are on a seven game winning streak, and it's a little ho hum, like the, you know, just not a. Whole, I mean, it's it's just weird. As I was telling the the guys before we started to record that they can be on a seven game ACC winning streak. And, you know, just like, Oh yeah. Mm. Like that's, it's just sort of expected, which is just sort of kind of shines a light a little bit on where the program has come and remains. Anyway, before we get started, let's go around and introduce somebody first in Fishersville board moderator du jour. David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? Hey, we're back to the normal order. I'm feeling better. Life's good. Who days on the board at who days on Twitter. Weren't you the normal order last week though? You did the opposite way last week. No, I did the I did the opposite. First. No, I that was oh, two was weeks that a couple ago. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, it was two weeks ago. See, you're, you're Virginia you're, hadn't lost the game so long. I don't have anything to you know, compare <laughs> it against. It's because they killed Tweetbot. That's what it is. Yeah, All right. Uh, speaking of uh, the aforementioned Justin Ferber, editor in chief of the uh, website in Charlottesville, was also on the program. How's it going, my dude? Dave can't tell you what we talked about on the podcast last week, but he sure can tell you how many flights have been taken on the UVA <laughs> plane, um, which is good information for us to have. You know, if somebody wants to do that research, that's good on him for doing it for us. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs, Cavs Corner also gets are on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional way to banter. I just think it's hysterical that Ferber brought that up on the show because uh, I just have this vision of, of Dave just – holding his phone with two hands, you know, 
as he's you know shaking with 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 anger at like how the plane is being used. He's he's very into this guys. He's very. Into I like I like to think about it more like Jake Gyllenhaal in the second half of Zodiac. If you're familiar with that movie, where he just becomes like more and more like he's got books all over the place and like he's getting really into it and he's got like his kids like looking at like stuff in books and this is um, this is seventies. Like what's going on? This is by it's far not that the... bad. Although I do have a tab saved on my computer, where I can just <laughs> click it, pull it up, this see where is... it is. Today. This is by um, far the most random tangent we've ever gone on on the show. That's this what you is, have to do when Tweetbot disappears. You know, I, this is what happens. Tweetbot goes sure. bye bye, and 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 uh, the world the world cries. Um. All right, man. Can I put can can the can the title of the episode be Tweetbot goes bye bye? Because I just think that's amazing. Um. Okay. Are they paying us? I mean, no, no, right, no. They they're not paying it. anybody now. Probably no. <laughs> Although they they've taken no they've <laughs> taken their uh they've taken the app. Oh, basically, they've built one for Mastodon. So, though we might be getting into podcast sponsorships ourselves. <laughs> that's, we'll yeah, you stay tuned, folks. Uh, seriously, that's one Some of the section. greatest. It's it's just one of the greatest ideas Ferber's ever had. We should start calling ourselves, by the way, the Cast Corner Podcast Network. A lot of people do that. It's like we just have. To oh yeah, show. just yeah. I mean, technically speaking, we do have multiple shows. They're dormant, but we do. Remember, we had that whole one where I was like. Ask a question back in the day, and there was, and know, then there no, was like a there was like an interview one that yeah, we were it was Cast Corner Conversations, man. Yeah, I love that like show. A Twitter account for it. Yeah, so we should. You know what we are? We are the castcorner.com podcast network, brought to you by castcorner.com, which we might be able to hear featured uh, as an ad sponsor on another UVA <laughs> podcast someday. Um. Anyway, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Um. So. It is National Signing Day, very different sort of signing day. Um, not necessarily in terms of the number of, I mean, there certainly since the advent of the early signing period, that has become the de facto signing period. And it does feel a little silly to, to like have a signing day after that so, you know, so soon. Um, but I think this one feels a little different in the sense that it, it definitely felt like um, because of, because of maybe the size of the class or sort of where things were on the early signing period, it felt like they needed to do a little bit more work like that. And, and then, you know, Tony talked a little bit about that today, right? They still have some needs they have to address. Um, since they had early signing day, they lost arguably um, what their second best transfer uh, addition. Um, and, and, you know, I, I understand that um, sort of the, the way this thing works is there's not a lot of um, at this stage of the game, if you're in the thick of it with a kid, he's very likely going to be deciding in the early period. Um, so it's not you're probably not looking at a lot of February the first editions at this point, right? Maybe one or two here or there, but the days of of this being the, you know the signing period have have gone. Now, if the NCAA comes in and, and pushes that signing period uh, back, and when I and when I say back, I mean like away um maybe earlier um you know in the um in the summer for example or something like that i could see that you know changing a little bit and then maybe this signing day kind of be you know it won't be it it will never regain like it's it's old school luster but um it could be a bigger deal anyway the big the bigger picture here is that um you know not a whole lot on the signing day front though we did get to hear from uh tony elliott uh, before we get to some of those takeaways from from his time at the mic today, um, I mentioned um, the addition you know on the 
wide receiving coaching position. Um, Dave, let's start with you. Obviously, that was a a development that we we all saw sort of saw coming as a potential reality. Did it surprise you more that it happened, or that it happened when it happened? I mean, I didn't think it would take long. Um, I think I said last week I thought it would be Gaither and someone would be promoted from within to fill, you know, the running back spot. But you know, close enough. <laughs> it was, it was there. I mean, we knew Mims was there. He was on Justin's list. Obviously, um, we may have even discussed him last. First week. on the list. Yeah, very first. Um, but then on the podcast, I I went the other way, so I don't get credit for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not shocked. I mean, if you compare it to the Heffernan hire, it seems fast, but. Um, you know, it makes sense. We, you know, Elliot values that position. That's the one he played. That's the one he coached a lot. Um, and obviously, you know, maybe he's, he brought Mims on as an analyst for a reason. And, um, you know, as he said today, Mims had worked with Hagen. So Mims has a relationship with guys in that room. And that's probably a, you know, you can argue experience all you want. Um, but, you know, you've got a room that had the losses they had not only, you know, the tragedy, but the guys who are gone now, I think having someone they're familiar with, it's probably a good move. What do you think, Ferber? How do you, where do you, where do you come down on this? Yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate hedge, but time will tell. Right. I mean, I think, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I think the people that really wanted them to go out and get a name, like I get why people would think that, but I also think, you know, like that doesn't always translate to like good coach, like good fit. Um, you know, like think about like Ruds, like he, you know, he coached the Air Force, he had a track record there. But like, if you were like, would you rather have him or a coach that coached at the Power Five level? A lot of people would be like, give me the guy that's had Power Five experience, and experience doesn't always translate to like being good at your job. Um, it certainly can help, but we'll see. I mean, obviously Tony trusts him. Um, and I, I kind of, um how do I say this? I think it's notable that he didn't promote from within on the offensive line hire, but chose to do so here, which means that he might have felt like Mims was a little bit more ready than some of those offensive line guys he had on staff, which makes me think he, you know, kind of thought it through and really values what Mims brings to the table. Um, we'll see. I mean, it, it, it seems like, you know, he could come in and, and do some stuff. He, this is a bunch, you know, different job than the ones he's had in the past, but doesn't mean he can't do it. And, and to be honest with you, this seems like, you know, we were talking about it before they announced it, but um, like it should have been more obvious to me. I feel like just because like th- this mirrors exactly how Tony got his start. Um, You know, his position coach Dabo hired him to be a position coach at Clemson when he got the head coaching job there kind of gave him his break. You know, Mims played for Tony Elliott at Furman and now he's giving him his break after hiring him as an analyst. So, I mean, and I think that Tony kind of values that sort of thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe what it is, but like the symmetry almost of that, like giving the guy the chance. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, You know, time will tell like with any of these guys, like Heffern and coach at Stanford for a couple of years, but we don't really know which one of these hires is better yet. You know what I mean? It's like he hasn't, he's not like a guy that coached 20 years of offensive line and has this like really long track record. So um, we'll see. I mean, ultimately it's, you know, we talked about it last week, but you know, Tony's kind of like picking his guys. These are his guys. Right. So, I mean, if they succeed good on him, if if it doesn't work out, then he kind of like, you know, these are his guys. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I feel like, 
you know, I, I look at, I'm of two minds on this. One, you're, you, you both, you know, the, the idea of, you know, we sort of have to wait and see what these kinds of things. There's a difference, I think, when you look at a higher, um, like if, um, I mean, Heffernan is sort of in that direction, right? Which is like, dude with lots of experience or, you know, varying degrees of experience at the, you know, at the power five level, um, coaching that specific position, um, who also has like some other aspects to, to his experience that makes you sort of like, okay, like he, you know, he's been around the block a little bit. Um, so it makes sense in, in a, in a way, you know, where a hire of that nature would get people really excited. Even if you don't necessarily know how it's going to click the, the, the bona fides are, are there, right? In a situation like this, to Ferber's point about, you know, Tony kind of getting his guys, there are no bona fides other than this is a this is a dude that that obviously understands um not just Tony himself, but also sort of the the system and the culture, you know, that kind of thing. And so a lot of this stuff is a little nebulous, right? And so there is a wait and see approach to it. The second part of it, and you know, if we're gonna be real about it, is that like on some level, the value of assistant coaches, I think, is is a touch overblown um, because ultimately they do what the head coach tells them to do, right? Their level of 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 um, their level of of um, sort of um, intimacy, so to speak, right, with the program, like how entrenched they are, right, how much they're doing. Um, you know, how, how much leeway they have in recruiting, how much, um, you know, how involved they are. That really depends on the head coach. And a lot of these assistants, who they are under one head coach, they might be somebody completely different under another. Um, and so I feel like on some level, like having your guys, having dudes who understand sort of what you're expecting from that position is, is probably as big a deal as, uh, you know, somebody who has a lot of experience and that kind of thing. At the end of the day, assistant coaches, they take their direction from the head coach. Um, unless, you know, I think coordinators have a significant impact and they're just a, that's a very different world, but assistant coaches, their job is to essentially go out, find the players, recruit the players, coach up the guys that they've got, but everything comes from the head coach. And so, it, you know, that like shortening the amount of, I don't know, maybe space isn't the right word, but shortening the amount of space between that position and the head coach, basically putting them on the same sort of um, wavelength, so to speak, in terms of like backgrounds and stuff. I think that actually helps or has the potential to help. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm certainly not throwing any shade here. I mean, I think Biscuit is legitimately one of the top five humans I've ever met. I think he's good at his job. I think UVA is worse off. Um, regardless of how it works out from this point forward. I think UVA is worse off as a school. I think the program is is worse off for not having him because of his uh, connections to it. And that being said, I think he made the right decision for him and what could ultimately be, you know, um, a, pot a potential opportunity for, for UVA to take some steps forward, right? All of these things can be true. And I know this is hard for, for some folks, but like all of these things can be true at the same time. And I kind of feel like they sort of are in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I felt like, you know, last week when we talked about 2J and, and Biscuit leaving, um, I mean, the big part of what I talked about wasn't just, you know, it wasn't really the coaching. It was who they were, 
Hagen's obviously being Mr. UVA and Tuje kind of being the, the, the liaison between the staff and the fans. Right. And that was going to be the hard part to replace. I think from a coaching perspective, um, uh, as to me, Tony's still got to figure that part out, you know, whether it's these guys or someone else on the staff that, you know, you can say it doesn't matter, but you know, ultimately it doesn't if he loses all his games, but, um, it can certainly help keep the heat off of you, um, in the interim, but from a coaching perspective, you know, we can look at what Bronco did, right? Bronco largely brought his guys, um, you know, he could leave a room and trust that he knew what was going on in there. So, you know, Hagen's and Tuje, I'm not saying they were doing things they weren't supposed to be doing, but, you know, Tony's picked two guys now. Um, you know, Mims, look, if Tony wasn't a wide receiver coach, I don't think he would have promoted Mims to replace Hagen's. Um, you know, he's comfortable with that position. He's going to help out with that position. Um, kind of probably how Dabo did when he brought on Tony, you know, um, from a lunch, much lesser job, but in the offensive line position, obviously they don't have a history working with Heffernan, but we know from Heffernan's past and from what Stanford does that, you know, physicality is in technique is something they teach well at Stanford. Now, whether that translates to here, we'll see, but I think it is interesting that, you know, Guillermo's gone and now Maverick Morris, who is another Clemson guy has brought on, you know, he's been an offensive line coach at ULM for the last two seasons. He's the new GA. So Heffernan might be different, but there's a Clemson piece there that Tony knows. Um, so all that, you know, Tony talked about it today, you know, him being able to kind of not micromanage so much. So hopefully this can help that part. He's still got to figure out that other piece to me as a fan. I would also add to this, like, um, and this doesn't mean, this isn't like a blanket, like this is the way you're supposed to do it. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to do it, but like people that are like, why would we just promote a guy that doesn't have like power five experience or, you know, like even FBS experience in this case, like, I think you have to remember, this is how a lot of coaches get their start. Like somebody has to give you that first job and he's already had a full-time job, but like as a receivers coach, but you know what I mean? Like if you look at Bronco, like you can't really complain about this, but then also like value what Bronco did with his staff, because that's his whole staff is out of Mims guys, right? <laughs> guys that played for him that were GAs. And then they got promoted to full-time head coach. Yeah. The um, only exception being Ruffin McNeil. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. The original. And that yeah. kind of just, and then into Higgins, his lap. I guess, um, yeah, yeah. but, he was but yeah, I mean like all those other guys and the guys that like he had on his staff throughout the years, Vic Soto was a GA. Shane Hunter was a GA. I think Nick Howell was a GA. Kelly Papinga, like all those guys. And they were, or they were all from, had ties to BYU. And, you know, he brought all those guys with him to, yeah, not just how you get your start, but like the fact that he brought guys that he trusted and valued that. Like he valued the closeness of his staff. That doesn't mean it's going to work out. Like clearly by the end of his time here, he needed a different defensive coordinator probably, but, um, you know, at the same time, it's not that different from how other coaches do it. Now, I think eventually you can get into trouble if you just keep promoting people from within and don't bring in fresh ideas, i.e. Clemson, because, you know, they just had to fire their offensive coordinator after one year because they, it was just getting stagnant. And I think they needed to get some fresh eyes on the situation. Um, so I think you can overdo it with that. Or if you just promote people because it's like you're the next guy up, whether, whether you know, they're ready for it or not or, or, or like capable or not. But in this case, it feels like, I mean, considering how quickly this got done, it feels like he's, he's confident in the, in the choice. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quite question for you guys. I mean, I don't know if we've talked about this in the tech set or not, but you know, we you assume we have one analyst role open and debatable whether the other GA role open up. Uh, I'm kind of expecting him to find someone who played quarterback at Clemson or played in that system to, to fill that analyst role. Cause that's like the one position he doesn't have that kind of over, you know, that person over it. Um, I just don't know who it would be because, you know, I don't know how much we're paying an analyst. And if you look at a guy like Streeter, he probably is not coming for that. And um, it depends on what you're getting out of them, right? Yeah, like, exactly. what are they doing? Like, are, are like, are, what are they doing in that role? Because I think a lot of what they do is like, like, you know, analyzing. <laughs> it yeah, they help play like, in practice. They look at practice film. They, know, they, they, they gather data. They like process yeah. data for you and do different chart plays, things like that. Um, but they can help I think you it's another up, yeah. voice too. Yeah. Like if there's like, Hey, at this school, we did this thing, you know? Um, yeah. The only thing they don't do is on the field coaching, but you know, they can coach in the room, you know, they can, they can go over film with people. So it's, it's an interesting role. That, um, and he like, doesn't have I to fill it either. I mean, he no, can he leave it. It's not like you have to have a certain number of analysts or something. So save that money for other expenses, but um, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I expect them to. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, Taj Boyd, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't want to get people excited about that. Yeah, listen. Yeah, I don't do that. No, I, I think. I, all right, a couple of things. First off, it's really interesting to compare um, sort of what Tony is doing or has do has done and continues to do, what have you, with what Bronco sort of set out to do. He he brought a lot of his guys with him, and he was very loyal to his guys. Um, you know, uh, I think it's you know fairly understood at this point that one of the options on the table was to make some changes and that wasn't the direction he chose to go. Um, but I also find it interesting in the sense that like, you know, if you think practically, right. Um, how much is, you know, coach X going to get out of the wide receivers versus somebody who's sort of like in the family or part of the tree. Right. I, I think there is so much to be said for the idea that like right or wrong, that he believes that he can get more out of those players if that coach is somebody from the tree. It makes sense that he probably thinks that. Um, I think this is a good point to mention that, like, for I, I don't know if, he, if if a lot of folks out there understand this or not, but like, you you see coaches in front of microphones and you have a vague idea, you know, in some cases more accurate than others of like who they are, but but by and large, coaches are historically similar in the sense that they're insulated. Um, they they tend to rally the the around each other um, and sort of you know the 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 group sort of protects itself from the outside world um, and so it makes sense that you would want to be in these you know for lack of a better description sort of foxholes with people who you've been through stuff with right and that's not I don't think that means like oh you know you know biscuit did something no that's not the point the point is like a lot of this has it's beyond sort of just like, oh, here's a great assistant coach. It's it's beyond experience, right? It's beyond all these things that like look like they should matter on somebody's CV. This is about the way something feels, right? And, you know, Ferber mentioned symmetry earlier. I think that's um, pretty appropriate too. Now, in terms of the other analyst position, um, I, think those, I think that those positions are in some – portions of the coaching circles seen as almost like really good gigs because you all you do is just 
the football piece. You don't have to worry about the people piece. You don't have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is just raw, full-on football stuff, right? It's almost like when when college players don't have to go to class because, you know, um, you know, it's winter break or whatever, and they can focus on just football, and that's all they need to do. And it's like they talk about how great that is, right, um, when they're, like, getting ready for the bowl game or whatever. Um, so it, it's interesting to me in the sense that, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they could find somebody who would want to take that job that we would all go, oh, really? But at the same time, I don't know how I don't know how important those positions are, given what where Virginia is right now, right? Yeah, if you're UVA, it's like, what are you? You need somebody to do the work first. I think like right. that's like exactly. at a school like Alabama, they bring in analysts who can function in a different role, and they get as much out of it as they're putting in too. Where it's like, I get to kind of be around Saban and see how he like operates, and then maybe next year when the offensive coordinator gets the Patriots offensive coordinator job, he bumps me up. Cause I was a head coach or something. Right. Um, and I think there's value like at UVA, it's more about like, we need you to like put your head down and just like get the work done for us. I feel like, um, and yeah, I think it depends on where you are in your career too. Like you can get a bounce back guy to do that kind of work, but also you can get a guy that's like, I can't get a job as a coach yet, but like, this is a place for me to get started. Um, and a lot of times, like not just with Broncos staff or not just with Tony staff, but most staffs, you'll see like those analysts have uh, some sort of connection to the head coach, like a former player or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, that position, like, I mean, it's not, you know, there was a, actually a vote this year to allow as many people to coach on the field as mm-hmm. you wanted. And surprisingly, like it got turned down despite people like Dave Clawson voting yes because it's they so basically hard for just the NCAA. they kicked it down the road basically yeah. like they're NCAA basically yeah, that's what Clawson's point was like no one NCAA can't enforce it everyone's doing it um yeah but, I can you tell know, you but, that like the the like people that they say can't coach coach like yeah <laughs> yeah but you know even if it's you know and they're not on the field just like I mean I don't want to spend twenty minutes talking about analysts but here we are um I mean you brought this up. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it, I thought it was it was just you know now with the way the staff's constructed, like there's a piece. Tony's got people he knows and trusts over every position, you know, except for quarterback. Like he knows Taylor Lamb to some extent, but he's never coached with him. Um, so anyway, um, but yeah, it they, also might be like, good to have a passing game analyst because there's so much stuff that goes into passing. Yeah, like you kind of there's a lot of data around it. Um, yeah, and you know it's data driven too. But you know, like I said, that you know if you go read about what analysts do, I mean it's a lot. There's they're scouting, they're looking at recruiting film to tell you who to recruit, who fits your system. Um, they're helping set up practice plans, and they're helping recruit once they're on grounds. So, you know, it can be a position for someone who knows his stuff and just doesn't want to spend his time traveling. And if um, you have a guy that has connections, like yeah, I mean, even like as Joey an analyst, they can really be like, qualified. "Yo, I know this coach, <laughs> like in Alabama or Tennessee or wherever that like has this kid we should look at." Or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Joe York's got like 20 years of coaching experience. Like, so um trying to think who our previous analysts have been. So, I mean, it's not a – it can be a position that can help a staff, you know, if you get lucky, find someone who wants to do it. Um, I mean, I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked if, if, if a quarterback fills that role. Yeah. And it would make sense, you know, because you've got multiple guys over the wide receivers. Um, and even if it is like a passing game coordinator role, that can be a quarterback too. So, That's um, something to look forward to in the offseason. For sure. Now, also on the on the football front, we, we had a chance to hear from Tony for the first time in a while. Uh, and I'm just curious if we could talk about a few takeaways. Um, Dave, what did you what were some of your um, 
your takeaways from from his session this afternoon? I mean, I don't know. I don't want this to sound bad, but um, he just seemed a lot more at ease than I've seen him in a while. Obviously, last time we saw him was signing day, not far removed from the tragedy. Um, the times we saw him before that was usually after a bad performance. Um, today, he just seemed kind of easy breezy, um, more like what we saw in the first couple of press conferences when he was hired. And that was interesting. I mean, my takeaway is um, trying to think what's important. I mean, several guys are going to miss spring. That's not great. Um, what else? What else is big? I written now. This is a small thing. I really liked how he talked about Brennan and Nick and Marcus. You know, all the guys that you know. Nick, I guess Nick doesn't fall in the gone category, but I liked what he said about them fulfilling their obligation, doing it. I mean, I thought that's good for you. Um, I think that's something your that locker fans room to hear. can remember yeah. too, because it's yeah. like, they don't owe you anything. And they, you know, UVA, you're supposed to value the degree like Olu last year. He got the degree. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be like happy that he's not here, but you can kind of like understand that. Like he did everything he needed to do. Olu also transferred here. If people don't want to remember. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And you know, the third thing I would say is, um, and I forgot what the third thing was, but look, I thought overall it was pretty good. Um, you know, it's hard to say a whole lot when you didn't sign anyone new, but, um, yeah, I thought he made some interesting comments about like Lex Long playing more in the box. But the one question I had coming out of it was, he said we needed, you know, obviously today was signing day, but technically you can sign, I think through the end of March, um, you know, as a freshman, as a first year, um, but you also have that spring recruiting window. So, I mean, I'm sure Virginia would have liked to add its couple pieces now. But there's Tom. I mean, theoretically, doesn't matter if you sign him now or in, in the spring transfer window. They wouldn't be here till the same time anyway. Um, but he mentioned needing help at off in the line, which is obvious. And cornerback, um, certainly. But the safety the safety one kind of got me like, hmm, man, don't we have like 11D safeties? Um, so I don't know what that, what that means. I feel like on some level, you know, any any coach who had been through what he was – what he went through as uh, as a rookie head coach, I, I don't see how that can happen to you and you not come away somewhat changed by it. And I'm not even I don't even mean the shooting. Um, and I, I think for the purpose of this portion of the discussion, I want to I want to take that piece away. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because I I want to be able to have that conversation. I know that it's impossible, and I don't mean any disrespect in in terms of um in terms of saying things like that cuz i think we're going to we're going to talk about that um you know it, we're going to talk about like last season right we're going to talk about on the field stuff i'm very cognizant that that the, that the shooting absolutely impacts every aspect of the program and i don't have any interest nor will i ever have any interest in dishonoring the memory of those three kids okay I just think that for the discussion of football, it's it's tough because I can tell you that not having player X impacts Virginia's ability to throw the ball down the field, right? But I can't tell you how people feel about um, such a, 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 a just a, a terrible a terrible tragedy and how they've come back from it. I can't I can't look into every player's heart and tell you where they are in that grief process, right? As somebody who, you know, my dad passed away in June and there's still some days where it's, it's really tough for me. 
So I can't imagine what the kids are feeling and how, you know, what that process is like. So I, I say all this because I think that when we're going to talk football about, you know, whether it's now or a couple months from now or certainly several months from now when we're getting ready for the season and all, that we we kind of have to sort of do what we can to, to, to not try to comment on that part of it and focus on the rest. So my point in all this is I feel like for, for Tony to go through what he went through, you have this, this quarterback who you admittedly publicly talked about trying to get to come back, and the offense just was a mess, was just a total mess, and you are somebody who has historically had good offenses. You've had great players on offense. Your last year at Clemson was kind of a mess too. And so now I can understand as a competitor, like that, that starts to get in your head a little bit. Right. And honestly it should like, that's the way sports works. Right. What you do is, you know, like what is that Bronco quote that he's always saying, you know, people get the results that they're um, designed to, to get or whatever it was like if his offense is a mess at Clemson and he leaves and then the offense is a mess at Virginia, well maybe he needed to do some things differently. Right. And like maybe he needed to learn some lessons and put some things in place to, make some changes or right. I mean, you know, that's just a natural sort of way of it. So I, I think it's natural for him to come into a press conference like this and have some perspective on that. Um, now, is it as much as, you know, this person wants or that person wants? I mean, you know, that's impossible to answer. But the bottom line, I think, is, is that that piece is important for, I think, the whole program because the way this thing lifted off last year, um, it, it, it did not, it did not appear that they expected it to go as sideways as it went. Right. And then it did. And you're going to have some fresh starts and some new people in different places and all that fun stuff. And we all saw the schedule. I mean, <laughs> the schedule is going to be rough, man. Um, you know, we hadn't necessarily planned to really go into to it, but if folks want to make sure you check out Ferber did a game by game sort of breakdown it really paints a, a really, you know, in some ways bleak picture of Virginia's chances unless the Cavaliers take some serious steps forward. And I'm talking about some serious momentum that they build through the season in order to to really change the trajectory of that thing. So, I mean, it makes sense to me that he would be sort of in that mindset. And, and for me, I think it was good because it kind of confirms like, okay, this is, this is what you would expect to see from a coach going into year two, given all the things that have um, happened in the program and especially knowing what the schedule is going to require from them come fall. Now, in terms of the players being out, I mean, sort of where they are in a, in a roster standpoint, Dave, having anybody out is tough. Um, obviously, some of the names of the, the guys who are, are going to be um, still kind of rehabbing injuries and stuff is tough because they're going to be in a, in a spot where they need, they need dudes. Um, are you concerned? How concerned are you um, about their ability to sort of get good work in the spring given sort of where the numbers are. Yeah. I mean, if, if there's a concern, that's it. Cause a lot of the guys, um, Josie, Josie being limited certainly help. you know, it's not going to help the offensive line development because I think we all expect him to be one of the five. Right. Um, and then, but you know, a lot of the defensive line guys that are out, um, you know, they've gotten work. So the big thing that's going to hurt with them being absent is just the rep for the offensive line. So, um, yeah, I don't think they're gonna. It's gonna hurt them per se because they've gotten playing time. They they kind of know what they're doing. Um, but look, you, when you're trying to build an offensive line, the best way to do it in spring is put them up against you know best on best as much as you can. And 
that'll be a little harder with those dudes out. What do you think, Ferber? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of typical spring situation. I mean, like last year they had a bunch of dudes out. This year they'll have a bunch of dudes out. Next year they'll have a bunch of dudes out. Um, it is what it is. Yeah, the Josie thing's probably the most significant one. Yeah, and, and he kind of went through like a laundry list of dudes. Um, and you know, it's pretty typical. That's when guys get their offseason surgeries and stuff and they miss spring, but you know, it's not unheard of for a guy to miss spring and then come out ready to go for fall. So hopefully that'll be the case here. Yeah. All right. Anything else on the football side of things before we switch over to hoops? Uh, I yeah, feel I mean, like people are probably like, why are we still talking about football? Right yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add is like, it's going to be interesting to see how the Jay Wolf thing plays out. Um, sounds like uh, Tony and O'Connor, we're going to try to get that straight today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I mean, I think Tony said verbatim, um, you know, if, 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 if he wants to compete for the starting job, he's got to be here. So that'll be something to watch over the next couple of days. And it did kind of sound like they had it. Like he almost made it seem like they had already kind of decided what they were going to do with him. Like after he said what he like said, what he said about like working things out, almost seemed yeah. like they were going to do like a split day, which sounds like hell for him, but <laughs> it sounded almost more like they were talking about details, like how many throws he could have on certain days and yeah. that kind of thing. So we'll see mm-hmm. mental reps. Yeah. Mental reps indeed. All right, let's talk about basketball. Obviously, the Cavaliers on the aforementioned seven-game winning streak after, um, I don't know, can we call it gritty? It was a I don't know, gritty. 67-62 win in, in Syracuse, New York, uh, at whatever it's called now, Dome. Um, I refuse to. I, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm getting very curmudgeonly. Uh, as I grow older, because it's the JMA. Like, I don't care. Dome. Don't I don't. AKA I'm not commi- the don't ask Jim Beheim a difficult question. Don't right. I am not committing that to memory. I'm just going to call it the dome. Um, and then whenever some new sponsor comes in, I'll be very glad that I didn't know that one either. Um, all right. So really big night for Jaden Gardner. He goes 17 points, eight rebounds. Um, he had a big shot late. Um, you know, it was one of those kind of games for him. The the charge he picked up to foul Edwards out was was also superb. Kihei Clark with a double-double, I believe the third of his career, 12 points, 10 assists. Um, he did have five turnovers, though, but I guess if you have 10 assists, I don't know, some level, that's okay. And then um, Cousin Armand, 12 points. Cavaliers shot 46% uh, from the floor, 42.9 from deep. What's interesting to me about this game, fellas, is, I mean, Syracuse just absolutely dominated them in the paint. Um, and typically, Virginia doesn't necessarily come out on the winning. I mean, I, I have not done the the legwork on this. I'm just going to go on what I believe to be the case. Um, my anecdata. Um, when they get dominated in, in paint scoring, typically UVA doesn't come out on top, especially on the road. So I, I felt like for them to to win a game like this, considering sort of where they are, it doesn't hurt that Syracuse shot 20% from three. They were uh, three of 15 in the game. Um, Joe Girard, who you know he has tendencies to, to, to kind of heat up. He was only one of four. Um, I still love that Kihei had one um, less assist than Syracuse had as a team. Overall, Ferber, as coming out of this one, getting ready for um, going to Blacksburg on Saturday, what are what are your vibes? You you think the you think you're seeing the best potential of this team, or do you still have some some concerns? I think they can play better than they did the other night, um, and that that's meant as a compliment, really. I mean, I think that they can they can do better than that, and and they still won. And, and I said after the game, I thought it was a mature win. You know, it was a, a game where, not to say that they they were like about to crumble or like Syracuse put like an unbelievable amount of pressure on them, but they did come back and take a lead. They were at home, um, you know, like there there were definitely some times where it felt like, yeah, this one might 
be tipping towards Syracuse here in the second half. I think they went up by four or five. Um, and and Dave kind of nailed it during the game. Like Syracuse really could have won the game, but they just couldn't like slam the door shut or they couldn't like get it up to like eight points. Um, and eventually that's against this UVA team. And I think that's the lesson here is that like, if you let them stay within a possession or two, you're going to have a hard time beating them in a close game because they just have so many guys that could hurt you. And their defense is an elite, but it can get stops more than the average college basketball defense can. So I think they're in a pretty good spot. I mean, I think Saturday's game in Blacksburg is going to be really tough. Um, But, you know, like I like the way that they've kind of played late in games. And um, if they can handle their business the rest of the way, meaning win your home games or most of them, um, and then beat the teams on your schedule that you should beat, and they have quite a few of those, I feel like, um, they're going to be in a really nice position, I think, come ACC tournament and NCAA tournament time. Dave, what about you? Dave's got nothing. Would you like to hear what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I would. You know, typically that's I was the way looking that, at the, the stats that make a good point. I'm like, oh, I should probably hit the mute button for a dog. Um, I mean, yeah, they're it's the, the one thing that kind of stood out to me during the game is, you know, I feel like we as fans, like we spend a lot of time analyzing games after they're over. Um, after a couple, like, I mean, it felt, I've, I've seen it posted on the board. I've seen it elsewhere. Like, I mean, Jaden Garter, I'm not saying people had like written him off, but he had become like, Oh, you know, should he be getting these minutes? Um, is he producing? He hasn't produced lately. You know, it's just a reminder that season's long guys are going to have good games and, you know, having that depth is a luxury. Um, I mean, that shot he hit at the end kind of, you know, to seal it, um, you know, just shows that, you know, a guy doesn't have to contribute every night. Um, but yeah, overall, like that's, you know, I can't remember which one of you said it, but yeah, I mean, mature teams get those W's, you know, we, we think about, you know, if you want to compare the team to the championship team or the 2018 team, like those teams had close games too. And that's, that's just what you have to do sometime. Um, you know, and, you know, Syracuse could have put it away many times. And I think that's the difference in experience, like, you know, being efficient, doing what you, you know, I can't remember the phrase now, which is terrible, but, um, you know, doing right every possession, basically, which has always been the mantra. Um, like the team's Two good. feet on the they, ladder or whatever. Yeah, yeah, keep knocking. Or yeah, something. Don't skip yeah. any runs, yeah. yeah. I, I think – I think Dave is getting at something that that is that's on my mind too, which is the idea that like, you know, at the end of the day, who who won the game, right? That's the thing that matters most. And unfortunately, I know the net takes into account sort of, um, you know, Efficiency. margin of victory and stuff like that, right? But your but the bottom line is, did they win? And sometimes there have. <laughs> You know, definitely Virginia has over the years had some winning streaks that were fueled in part because other teams just sort of made a bunch of mistakes. And UVA's consistency was the the biggest reason why the Cavaliers kept winning, right? Well, I mean, one, that's not bad. Two, I don't think it's I don't think it's very um I don't think it's very often that you see a team that just is at peak performance constantly, right? That they're reaching the top of their potential and just staying there. And staying there and staying there, right? That's not a thing that happens. What what happens is you have these brief moments, segments of games, maybe even a half or something, where you're really into that place where you're you're scratching your ceiling, right? 
but then you come back down to earth a little bit. And the question is, how far do you fall? You know, where where is your steady floor? And for UVA, historically speaking, for Tony's teams, when they've been successful, it's because that floor is, is higher than everybody else's. Not because they can get up to the highest of heights, but because they don't fall as far down. And I feel like one of the things you're seeing with this team is, is that they're figuring out ways to continue to get the job done by one, they do make big shots in, in, in moments that are key. And that has been a thing that has been a little bit of an issue for them in past seasons, right? If you think about like um, like the COVID year, right? And even last year, like they just, they, they couldn't make that shot when they needed to. Um, that's not to say that there aren't question marks. There are. There, it's not to say that there aren't warts. There are. Um, you know, I, I'm not really sure what to make of the Caden Shedrick situation. Um, I, I think it continues to baffle me as we get deeper into the season because there were times earlier in the year when he was in absolute beast mode and he looked like a, just a, not just a different player, but a completely different player. Um, there's only been games where, you know, they're living off three-point shooting and it feels like fool's goal. But when you do, when you do a good enough job of shooting a three with some consistency, um, even if it's maybe different guys, you sort of feel like, okay, that's a part of who this team is, Right. Um, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't shoot the three better in this game. Um, you know, in part because, you know, it's the zone and all that fun stuff. But bottom line for me about this team, at least right now, is that Kihei Clark is playing at a very high level. He's playing very within himself. He is, he's scratch. I, I do think he, there are times where he's scratching his absolute potential, right? Um, I, I think Gardner has nights where, you know, that whole stuff on the message board, you were, you know, Dave was talking about, like, it, I get it. Because you look at the rest of the roster and you think like, well, if if X, then Y, right? So if, if you're not going to get this production at this spot, maybe you look to somebody else and that kind of thing. The same can be said at times, you know, in the past for Armand Franklin, but he's been on such a tear of late that, you know, that has become a, a moot point, right? And so I feel like with Dunn and McNeely playing um, the way they're playing, making contributions, I, I think we've got a, a good feel at this point of who the team is, Um sort of if they have the potential to be better, where those avenues are. Um, I think the only thing keeping me from thinking this this is a you know potentially great team is what's going on with Shedrick. Because you have to have, uh, the small lineup is great, but you have to have a big that you can put in a game to stop a kid like Edwards. There's no, I mean, listen, this is no disrespect to that young man. But that dude just straight roasted them for a little while. I mean, he was getting anything he wanted. And the only and thing he can living, like, <laughs> he's solid, but like he almost like walks every time he gets every the ball. Time, like if you had right? if you had a guy that could just stand him up, he would just travel like every single time he got the ball. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not saying you got to have like you know an all ACC defensive stopper, but like you need a dude who can give you a little bit different look. Like think about the guards that they have, right? They do things somewhat similar, but they all also have their own places where like they're the Venn diagram, right? Everything spaces out a little bit you have to be able to bring in some sort of athletic big that, that has length that can protect the rim and, you know, defend a dude who's six eleven or whatever, who has a little bit of bounce to him. I mean, it's not like they're not going to see that dude. Like some teams have more than one of those dudes. Um, yeah. You know, the Carolina team that they saw in, in, you know, the other week, I mean, like that's <laughs> like, that's a Carolina team that, that has a lot more talent than you actually saw. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just come down the standpoint of that's the one hanging Chad for me that 
trips me up in thinking that they have that sort of elite level in them. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you're hoping between Shedrick and, and you know, Caffaro, um against big bodies you can do something. But if you think back to the Boston College game the other day, like that first half, Post was, you know, Eden, and they threw everybody at him. Um, you you got to have – you know, we've had it's weird because if you think about the season, the way it's progressed, there's been some bigs like the big from Illinois, like BVP gave him fits. Um, I think it was Illinois, yeah, Illinois game, right? Um, yeah, he's like a little bit of a different player too because he kind of like stretches the floor a little bit. The guy from, yeah, Illinois. but you know, BVP did not do well against Edwards. So, you know, I think it's you don't have to have someone that's perfect, you, you don't have to have a I'm trying to think of a big center. I mean. A Nick Yule come in there and shut them down. It'd be nice, but I think you know if they're, you're right that that is kind of the wart they've got to figure out, and whether that's Shedra getting better or keeping his head enough so that between him and Caffro and BVP or Ryan Dunn, even who I'm a little surprised we haven't seen try at the five a lot, um, that you can put enough together between one on one defense and the post trap to just not let the guy be mega efficient, you know, because if he's you know if if the big is only converting 40%, 50% of his touches and Virginia's doing their thing on offense, hitting threes, like that'll be all right. Um, I think yeah, I mean, that's I th- part of it too. I feel like I said this on Monday. I think I feel like in some way they're okay with it. They're like, let Edwards shoot 14 times. Yeah, like, I think Tony in his post game said, you know, you know, that they were fond with it for a while and then they were started hitting the threes and, and when he's getting fouls, like when he's fat, when people are fouling yeah. him, that's when you run into problems. Cause then everybody goes to the free throw line, no matter what. Yeah. yeah I think so. Tony's quote was, you can't stop everything, but you got to stop something. Um, right. So that's why they started doing the, you know, the doubles and, and that's fine. You, you can do that. Um, you know, this team obviously is going to lean more on its offense than, than like the 2020 team. Um, and you know, look at where they are offensively. I think you got to be okay with that. Beginning of the year, like it was like, you know, it was it was who's going to take the last shot. Now there's like four guys on the roster, yeah, maybe five. Yeah. If they if there's an open shot and they take it, I feel pretty confident in a clutch moment. And BBP is kind of right on that edge, depending on how he's playing. But even him, you know, it took me a while to warm up to him because I thought he struggled at times this year. But you know, that Syracuse game. He didn't shoot well, but he still put up a, a lawn and made made plays. And I think that's what you need. Yeah, um, he's he's done a much yeah. better job of impacting the game of late when he's not yeah. scoring a bunch and not hitting those, you know, not hitting from outside. That is, I think, imp- incredibly important. Yeah, well, one I mean, thing. If, go ahead. I was just going to say the one thing, like, if you want to look for a silver lining with with Caden. <laughs> Throughout this season, as soon as we, you know, not we like us three, but just people that follow the team are like, what's going on with this guy? They turn it around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because exactly. <laughs> Jaden Gardner, why isn't it? What's Jaden Gardner's like kind of settled into this role where he's not really doing a whole lot on the offensive end. And then he picked it up. And before that, it was BVP. Um, you know, so it's like, I feel like the more we just say, like, hey, what's going on with Caden? Like, he'll put it up a 20 point game in a couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, I, when I'm watching other teams play, I'm thinking like Clemson, like, that could be a game where Caden surprises you because uh, I think he could, he's got the athleticism to keep up with Hall. Um, I bet, but I thought he did with post too. So maybe we'll see. But, um, you know, the last point I wanted to make about Virginia, this was the second time this year UVA did that two day turnaround. Um, you know, that NCAA tournament prep, if you will, 
they had a Saturday game and then a Monday. And then I think in that tournament, they had a Friday and a Sunday. Um, yeah, they're four no in those games. So that's a pretty good song. Yeah. One. So for Saturday matchup with uh rematch, I guess with tech, I feel like that's a very different tech team despite um, them losing uh, in Coral Gables last night as we record this. Um, but I feel like this is a very different tech team even now than the one Virginia scored 1.3 points against per possession um, in Charlottesville a few weeks ago. Um, I, I feel like that 10 point win, I'm not saying that it's, it's, it's fool's goal, but I feel like they're going to get a hell of a, a run from the Hokies on Saturday. Um, how do you feel about this match, this rematch? Um, what do you like about it from Virginia standpoint? And I mean, is this really just going to come down to whether Hunter Couture can just get loose or do you feel like there are other bigger storylines that are going to have a bigger impact? I mean, they have a few guys that can get loose. As an aside, are any of you guys watching this NC State game? I was until it was like it a is thirty to, to six. <laughs> Ten and minutes. I still in. feel like it's going to be like a five or six point game for the. No, end, so it, is <laughs> no it's, it is not. It is not going to be. No, it's like, it's, it's, it's over. Um, and congrats to Louisville, by the way. Yeah, they they got a nice win. Um, yeah, I think also you mentioned like a different tech team. I think that was the first game they got Couture back. But I also think they're just a different team at home, like so many other teams are. And, and you see that in the series, right? I mean, UVA will beat them by 10 at JPJ, and then it's like, oh, they'll handle them in the rematch, and then Tech beats them in Blacksburg. Um, I, I think it, it could go either way. I think Tech also needs it more, to be honest with you. I mean, UVA is not going to not want it, but at the same time, like I think Tech, you know, their, their season's kind of hanging on by a thread. And the thing is, like, unlike a lot of other teams in that same position, I think they're better than what their record is in like how they've played like their outcomes um and ken palm agrees because ken palm has uh tech like 15 spots ahead of clemson for example um you look at like their recent games they lost that game in charlottesville uva played well in that game got out to a nice lead and then just played well i mean tech did play pretty well in that game too i thought they made like 12 threes or something like that um but then they go to clemson and they lose by one right then they dust or that they beat Duke and then they beat Syracuse bad and the two nice wins. And then they go to Miami and they lost by nine. But if you watch that game, it was like a tie game with like two minutes to go or something. And then Nigel pack just went off. Um, so I think they're, they're closer to the top of the league talent wise and coaching wise than they are what their record says they are. Um, will they be able to kind of get off the mat and get closer to 500? I don't know. Can they win this game? Yeah. Um, I still picked UVA. I already wrote the preview. Like I, I think UVA is the more trustworthy team overall. Um, but you know, I'm prepared for it to be a slugfest, like you said, Brad. And honestly, if you look at the schedule, the next three games are really going to be huge for UVA season. You have this game, then they host NC State, who's currently up 27 points, um, and then uh, and then they host Duke. So those three games, and then if you look at the three that follow it. You get Louisville, Notre Dame, and BC. I can't remember if that's the exact order, but those are the games. Um, you know, you you want to think you can handle your business there. So if you can come out of this three game stretch, even two and one or, or three two and one would be fine. I think three and zero oh would be great. Um, one and two is like not the end of the world, but you you hope it's just a blip. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like the next three games will be huge, and then you just hope. 
if they can just, you know, take care of their business, win their home games and then beat like for road games, beat Louisville, beat Boston College, they're going to be in a pretty good spot. Now, I'm not going to be able to watch Saturday because it's a busy baseball day and we play at noon, which is an advantage to UVA, I think, you know, won't be the crowd will be loud. It won't be as loud as it would have been at seven. Um, but it, it's, it is a weird game. Justin kind of touched on it. Like, you know, Tech is almost in a must win. Like, I, they are in a must. If they want to make the NCAA, they got to win. They got to. Yeah, beat this someone. is a quad one win for them, yeah, and it's a, t- a rare quad one home opportunity. You know, yeah. like you don't get those yeah. very often. No, you got to be facing someone high ranked. Um, but you know, Tech is what ten and two at home, zero and seven on the road. Um, you know, two of their home losses, obviously in the ACC, which is I think to what they lost to Clemson and NC State or someone. They beat Duke at home. Um, yeah, I think they might have lost to like Wake or something like that. I can't remember yeah. at home. So, and I believe both of those losses were without Couture. So, yeah, they're look. I don't know what to expect. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be uh, hungry for the win. Um, but I think it's an easy game for Tony to get his team motivated for. So, it, look, I wouldn't be shocked if Virginia wins um, or loses. It, it's going to be an interesting game. In fact, I can't watch it. Probably cost us four points. <laughs> so we got to outscore him by six. Um, it just means it just means that if they win, Ferber and I get you know, very delayed text messages uh, about oh, all yeah. the things that happen. What I love yeah, about I this watch for, it if for you, lose. for your dear listener, what I love about this is that when Dave does this and he comes back hours later and watches, he, t- he texts us like we're watching too. He'll be like, Oh, that was a bad call. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, also like I had no idea. I'm kind of glad that you shared it before you got on the record uh, to record tonight. Dave, Brad and I were talking about how, you were like, yeah, this this uh, play by play guy is like really going for it, and I was like, yeah, whatever, they all do. And then when you sent the clip, <laughs> I was like, like whoa, <laughs> like that yeah, guy for was the Boston College game, way you're too about. hot. Yeah, yeah he it's was like cut- a noon on a Saturday, <laughs> and he was, you know, what he was trying to do? He was trying to like get on Sports Center. Oh, 100%. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I in in terms of the matchup, I, I'll wrap us up on this. I I kind of think that I have not. I, I've watched a decent amount of Virginia Tech games this this year. I have not seen Justin Mutz look anything like the guy I expected him to be and the guy he's been in the past. Now, I don't know if he if he sprung a giblet somewhere and he's still um, you know trying to get back to form or whatever, but what I've seen, he just has not looked like himself. At some point, at some point, that, that's going to change. At some point, he's going to have a game where he is just himself – through and through and if that is and if that happens on Saturday he's the one guy I think Virginia could really struggle with really trying to shut down um in part I think because he he's not just long he's he's bouncy and he's he's actually really crafty um he's very good at like you know using his body um in a you know in a way that both gets contact so he draws fouls but also to like put you in a spot where like it's really hard to match up with him so I think that in you you can get it you can get sort of distracted with the Couture's and Padula's and the um and even the Maddox kid to some extent, but to me and Basili who was kind of quiet I felt like in the first game like yeah it was improved. four of eleven two of six from the from the um from distance but to me Mutz is the is the secret I mean not the secret weapon he is the the crux of the issue right um you know in that first game Virginia had five dudes um the entire entire starting five in in double figures. Like I said, they scored 1.3 points per possession, which is just not what UVA does, right? Um, 
I, I think Tech's going to shoot better uh, from three. Um, I mean, hell, they were seven of, of 18 just in the second half alone. Um, I, I feel like Mutz is going to be a, a bigger part of the, the picture, and that's going to that's gonna require UVA to be efficient. I mean, in the first game, they only turned it over five times. I, I think they've got to have something similar in Blacksburg in order to win it. So, I have a weird feeling McNeely is going to go off Saturday. There you go. I, I, I like I like this. I like when we you know we yeah. have feelings. You know, I mean he's playing. You know, it's about as close as he's going to play to his hometown this year. Um, <laughs> so, in that gym, you know, that dark light, I can just have a feeling, man. <laughs> that gym because it's going to be weird. Because do y'all expect Padula to bring the ball up at all? <laughs> I mean, personally, I want to see it. Just, I mean, I I think you kind of need to at least get let the poor boy try. Because otherwise, I mean, you know, he might, yeah. you know, he might as well give all his crap to Kihei too. Like, you know, it's it funny too because like we all yeah. felt like he got like destroyed in the first game, and I think Kihei definitely got the better of him. I mean, he scored he twenty scored. points. He scored yeah. twenty points, but like I felt like Padula had like all these turnovers, but he didn't really. Like, he had two. Yeah, he had two, <laughs> he had two <laughs> back to back. But, um, yeah, yeah, but I I feel like on on some level too, there were definitely times where Kihei is just bothering him so much that like the kid was just completely discombobulated. I think it's just harder for him to go down and get shots. Like you know, if if he's being like having to bring the ball up and then he's like got to get into the offense and everything. Like I will say um, too, Mike Young runs some some so much really good stuff. Um, it, it probably really works to UVA's advantage that the Cavaliers were um were off between Monday and Saturday, um oh, yeah. Yeah, because sure. I, I'm not saying that Mike runs a lot of stuff that like UVA doesn't see anywhere else, but I do think that Tech does a does a nice job. I, I, I'm I'm please don't throw things at me. I think Tech does a nice job, not just the action they run, but the way they run it. I mean, they 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 run that stuff hard. You know, and so they also do what UVA does, which is they kind of make you like wear you down, like with the yeah, way they, they move do without the ball. They do. So it, yeah. it, it's actually very interesting because what Mike what Mike is trying to do is like the offensive version of what Tony does on defense. Right. And yeah. and and I think they're very smart, too, about like sort of the way that they attack the hedge. I've, I've always thought that Tech did a nice job of attacking the hedge in a way that a lot of teams would love to, in part because usually, you know, they've had big men. Um, who are multifaceted, right? Um, I mean, look at this team right here, right? Um, so I, I think it's incredibly important for UVA to, one, for the hedge to be strong, but then, two, the scramble has to be there. You you just can't – you're not going to um, – if you're going to get anything remotely close to Tech's best punch, you're not going to win if you're not scrambling well, right? If you're not making good, um, you know, decisions – you're not giving max effort on closeouts. You're not um, scrambling hard. Um, that is an essential part of how you you keep up with them because they're go they're going to get looks. Like that's the bottom line. Like you're not going to stop this offense from getting really quality looks. The question is, do they knock them down? And certainly in their first game, they did. In Virginia, did a good job of uh, chasing them off the line a lot. All right, I think I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. Unless you guys have any objections. No, I mean, I think the I think people shouldn't look because we're not going to record again before it, but people shouldn't look past the NC State game either. Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate you bringing that up because I completely they have past it. they have a dangerous team. I you know like they have I think Smith is the leading scorer in the league. Burns is like a one off player that like is he really is an interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't know what you do with him because he kind of plays like a guard. Like you hope he, he, gets he plays like a, like an offensive lineman who plays guard. 
This is yeah. absolutely accurate. He's like Zach yeah. Randolph. I mean, I know they kind of look alike, so that's a probably a bad comparison. But um, yeah, and then you have like Casey Morcel, who's solid, um, and they have some other players that are solid. And I think they're just a they're I think they're an NCAA tournament team. I don't know how much better they are than that, but it, it, I don't think it's going to be like a, a walk in the park, even though it's at home. I mean, it's a night game, late night. So, yeah. I mean, the last thing I was like, I just, I think you said one and two, you would, you know, if they go one and two over the next three, yeah. I don't think it's a season in there because I think they could still finish 16 and four if they do that. But and they still have that Carolina game looming. Two and one, I think they're 16 and four is probably locked in, um, barring injury. So, three and oh. You, you gotta if they go three and zero the next three games. I don't want to say lights out, but it's pretty close. Yeah, if they go three and zero, I mean, especially given what Clemson did last night, like, um, I think they're. It's hard to have like a ton of confidence in them after that, you know. Like we've seen them kind of escape. They're the opposite of Tech, really. I mean, yeah, like yeah. they they they've had some bad injury luck like, like recently. I know with guys being out, but like. They just keep sneak. I mean, they easily could have lost that tech game. They probably should have. Um, and the yeah, Florida you State that game result, on Saturday, Tech's probably in, and Clemson's out. Yeah, Florida State, like they they were down three with ten seconds to go, and Florida State did the foul thing, and then they they ended up losing, um, which just proves that it doesn't always work. Um, Brad, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and then like I I just think that they've had some results like that along the way, like that uh, you're like okay, like you know they're. And Pitt's like that too, and I I think it's time to kind of start taking them seriously because they're nine and three now. Um, if only if if only Pitt could play Carolina every game. Yeah, know? I mean Carolina's probably like, what is going on? I saw like Matt Norlander said that Carolina's lost to them five out of the last six. That seems like bizarre to me, considering Pitt hasn't been very good before this well, year. If you think about if you think about sort of what Pitt like, think about this Pitt team and their ethos. Right, like mm-hmm. it's it's exactly the kind of thing that would and they had Carolina. and Carolina did have the one loss last year that was like really bad to Pitt and it like messed up their resume because yeah. Pitt was bad yeah. and yeah. they lost to them at home. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Pitt is kind of like in a decent spot right now. I think they have somebody pretty good this weekend though. I might be wrong about that. Um, if only there was a if only there was a feature on the on the website yeah. that people could like read to you know. Find yeah, they play. The they play. Uh, they play a very talented Louisville team on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> Oops. So they have the weekend off. But yeah, I mean, they're you look at their schedule. They have Louisville, Florida State, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Notre Dame, Miami to finish. There's they could a, end up. They could win like 15 games. Yeah, easily. Which kind of goes to your whole point, right, about the number of wins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just get the right. double by. <laughs> fair all right if you are somebody out there who find the podcast through the website thank you very much for giving us a listen if you don't mind look us up on apple Podcasts, Stitcher, spotify overcast or wherever it is that you get your shows and if you're so inclined to give us an, a rating or review we appreciate it now if you're somebody who has found the pod but has not given us a look at the website yet you can check out cavscorner.com i mentioned um ferber a couple of ferber's pieces um you know the i, I thought the 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 breakdown of the schedule um I mean, it was kind of bleak in some spots, but, you know, that's just the sort of reality of the situation. Um, let's see. I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show. And, of course, I want to thank Dave and Ferber for being gracious. Their time, as always, I very much appreciate all that they do. So, for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out.
See you soon.